Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring a bit of light into your eating disorder recovery journey. I'm your host, Keandra, and I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and survivor of an eating disorder. So everything that I do say comes from a place of experience and sympathy, and I hope this podcast is bringing you some hope on your journey. So in today's episode, it's a really important one and one that maybe isn't talked about enough um, within the eating disorder recovery community. And it's navigating eating disorders in transgender and disabled communities. And I have got an amazing guest with me today, actually one of my coaching clients, which is is nice because we already have a um, a working relationship, but I'm excited to introduce Alfie Ward. So Alfie, do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself and anything that the listeners need to know about you? So I'm Alfie, uh, I go by Unlabeled Disabled on Instagram and on my own podcast. So I'm physically disabled, autistic, transgender man with multiple mental illnesses, including two eating disorders, which are Arthrid and anorexia. I've had Arthrid for as long as I can really remember. It has a strong comorbidity with my autism. So I've had a very limited diet since I was very young. So I'd go through phases of only eating one type of food or drink. Um, I came out as trans at 11, but knew something wasn't right when I first, really from a very young age. So um, trans identity has been part of my life for a long time. I'm now 21, nearly 22. So maybe 10 years out, as well, over 10 years out as trans. So I've struggled with multiple mental illnesses as a teenager. I suffered with severe bullying, which caused me to withdraw and stop from school at 13. I then became physically disabled with multiple conditions, the main one being functional neurological disorder at the age of 16. So that caused me to become a full-time electric wheelchair user. And then how really my anorexia developed was I became ill in 2020 with mystery illness that caused eating to drink eating and drinking to become practically impossible so I was in a hospital where the doctors focused strongly on my intake and weight this then caused me to become very obsessed with that and the illness stopped but the restriction continued developing into my anorexia so that's a really quick like (laughs) shot over my journey but I hope that that gives a bit of an insight into sort of where I am and who I am. Yeah thank you Alfie you've definitely been on a a roller coaster of a ride but you're here smiling through it through (laughs) all you know all all trials and tribulations so I suppose you've shared a little bit about your personal journey but how would you say that like the transgender aspects and disability and eating disorder and you know other mental health conditions have intersected in your life so really i think my trans identity my disabled identity play a key part in my eating disorder especially my anorexia due to like um things like gender dysphoria and things like that so and then also the struggles you have with your body when you're disabled you have a lot of struggles with it about how your body doesn't act or behave the way you really want it to so then that plays into the eating disorders little sneaky brain where it tries to sneak in and control you and the way your anorexia or my anorexia works is that it likes to creep in on those bits so when it comes to like my gender dysphoria like certain parts of my body I don't like then it would say restriction was the answer to 
getting rid of that gender dysphoria and obviously that doesn't work because it's just a maladaptive coping mechanism to cope with your gender dysphoria so yeah definitely it's kind of you know the behaviors that you had were like a smoke screen for what was going on underneath and what you are actually dealing with under the surface would you say that that that's right yeah definitely so it the eating disorder really covered up a lot of the struggles I have with my trans identity and my disabled identity it sort of played as a way of showing to the world how much I was struggling with them in my life a way of like Mm. externalizing those feelings the feelings of like inadequacy and struggles with your body that you have when you're disabled or transgender so it's a way of like explaining to the world look I'm really struggling this is a real problem for me in an external way Mm, definitely and I suppose you know for the audience members who don't really understand um you know how being transgender uh, affects eating disorders what would you you know say are some of the specific challenges that you know you face when it comes to the transgender part of obviously what you're what you're suffering with so there are quite a few different ways that like being trans can play into eating disorders so like a lot of trans people have the like societal expectations of both binary genders imprinted imprinted upon them so Mm -hmm. you have the say female side of what you should look like and the male side of what you should look like both imprinted on you and you don't really know which like layout to follow and you really try and conform into the gender you identify as so that can really play into your eating disorder and then you also have like the societal pressures on yourself to pass which means like showing yourself to the world as the gender you identify as so say like if somebody walked by you in the street you would pass as looking as a male or looking as a female this obviously doesn't relate to like people that are non-binary but in the Mm -hmm. binary sense of the term so that makes you like hyper aware of your own body and causes more dysphoria which can then play into your eating disorder dysphoria like impacts you massively it makes me really angry at my own body for not looking how I needed it to make me happy like Mm -hmm. um, the body that I feel I should have been born with didn't arrive with me when I was born so you have that real sense of well I do I have that real sense of anger and injustice in me that I feel like I really needed to fit into that box that I had in my mind that I needed to fit into but obviously the body I have doesn't necessarily fit into that box yeah and so that there's that like mismatch within you that you know I suppose as well that your eating disorders try to control um uh, when you can't control anything else yeah it really, that, 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 yeah yeah it really does uh try and control your life in ways that are like unimaginable like it it feeds into the anorexia your gender dysphoria and it your anorexia will latch on to like the insecurities and the dysphoria as a reason to like in my case lose weight to fit into the box I thought that I needed to fit into yeah and you know I suppose through the recovery 
process it's also you know looking at the parts of yourself that maybe you couldn't feel when you were you know at your worst so I you know I it's really interesting to see how that has been a I suppose in some respect it kept you safe at times where you couldn't deal with you know some of the feelings that you were experiencing yeah well for me anorexia numbs a lot of my emotions so it would Mm. numb the feelings and you just get so obsessed with numbers and weight and how your body looks that those other feelings don't have a chance to express themselves in the way like a healthy brain would so it really numbs all that down which is one of the ways my anorexia like really like enjoyed I enjoyed that part of my anorexia that it did numb out those feelings that I didn't want to feel Mm, definitely and I suppose you know obviously this might might link but how does how did the disability aspect of you know things affect your body image or accessibility to treatment and the overall recovery process because obviously all of them interlink don't they yeah so like becoming as a disabled as a teenager was like really difficult for my relationship with my body and other people so I resented it for not like being the way I wanted to be in my body so it really caused a lot of resentment to to my disability and to my body itself. And then what comes with being disabled is people treat you differently. So they treat you like you're a child or less than just because you're, say, in a wheelchair, use mobility aid or autistic and things like that. So it sort of really damages your self-worth. So like barriers that you face in everyday life, like accessibility problems and things like that really knock your confidence and your self-worth and every day so that leads to a lot of isolation and loneliness in the disabled community Mm. a lot of disabled people are very lonely or isolated because they can't leave their house or they can't go where they want to go because places aren't accessible and then things like accessing treatment is really difficult with an eating disorder and a disability so I faced a lot of barriers with accessing treatment just because of my disability so like for example I'll just give you a basic example is that I need a wheelchair scale to be able to weigh on and Mm -hmm. my GP didn't have one and wouldn't get one they refused to buy one so I had to wait months for my specialist service to get one and in that time obviously I wasn't being monitored and I declined so that real like time that could have been there to monitor me and catch me before things declined further was missed because of basic access in treatment yeah so it's kind of like the the basic requirements even for people you know who don't have eating disorders seems like they're being missed you know the the weighing scales for disabled and wheelchair users wasn't there and it's like it's not just those with eating disorders that need that. That sounds like a real inadequacy of our general oh, yeah, you know, med- medical massive, service. There's massive problems with uh, disability treatment, with GPs especially. Like I know there's a big issue with uh, not having hoists in GP surgeries. So for people with cervixes and things like that, they aren't able to get smear mm. tests and things like that that are vital treatments that mm. could be life-saving for people aren't able to be able to be performed. So there's a real lack of access- accessibility yeah. within the medical community. 
to treat disabled people because it's you know and it, it we're in such a time with things like ai are taking over and we can't get the basic healthcare needs for you know sadly common you know not only ailments but you know issues that people face daily and it's it seems like there's a this real discrepancy that it's just going to make you know the recovery process even harder and and thinking about that can you like shed any light on any like common misconception or stigmas surrounding eating disorders within within not only the trans but disabled communities how can we challenge and break down these stereotypes if there is any yeah well i feel like treatment is mainly set up to predict that you're a straight white cis able bodied female when you walk in that door for treatment for an eating disorder and if you don't fit that stereotype it's really hard to access treatment um mm. it's really like a barrier to treatment so a lot of say in an inpatient setting if you got to that point beds are uh, assigned on genders so if say you didn't fit that binary or you are fit into the male binary as we know there's a massive shortage of male beds so that's a real issue and if you don't have that supportive treatment team that support your gender that could be a real issue and then there's also the issue of like misgendering that's really common in treatment for me mm. i i would say i pass very well as a man now and i would mm -hmm. still get misgendered constantly by staff and people that i came across within treatment just because my medical records say a certain thing um yeah. and that's a real barrier for treatment i could see that being a barrier for people not wanting to access treatment because they are frightened of being misgendered that could be a real uh issue for somebody because that's really harmful to be misgendered so that's a real yeah. issue and Definitely. then like further that further reinforces like the feeling of identity isn't it and which is a big aspect of eating disorders it's like you know the eating disorder is my identity therefore I don't want to recover because it's going to further you know reinforce that because then they, they could misgender me you know that I, yeah, I see definitely. how hard that is yeah and then when it comes to like assumptions based on disability is that especially with autism or physical disabilities people assume you're a bit stupid <laughs> mm. and that you don't have a basic understanding of life and eating disorders so that's a real issue i mm. have been talked down to like i'm a child um during treatment and that is again a barrier to treatment because people will think that you're going to be less than because of your disability treated like you're less than and that's a real problem and autism in the eating disorder world i view as viewed really negatively um yeah. the way i've accessed treatment and come across treatment providers when they see that you've got autism it's sort of a barrier for them to give you treatment because they think that you won't be able to understand it or that it's it's obviously just your autism when we all know that autism is a big uh, comorbidity with eating disorders yeah definitely it's you know there's a lot of it that I I often feel slightly guilty myself with speaking about you know like these topics because you know I am a white a white female who has suffered with a restrictive eating disorder but like 
I don't want, you know, anyone who, anyone who's suffering with an eating disorder deserves the same treatment, you know, and, and it shouldn't be that we're living in, in a world where, you know, they, there, there are these, these barriers. So within the healthcare system and support networks, how do you feel like people can better address the unique needs of, of people within these communities who are struggling with eating disorders? Yeah, so definitely staff need to be better educated on trans and non-binary identities. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a, ba- a lack of basic knowledge around gender identity. They can ask very rude and invasive questions that are just not on at all. I've been asked some horrific things about very private parts of my body or about my mm-hmm. treatment. Um and I believe with training around trans people, these like interactions could be avoided. And though those are things that put people off accessing treatment. So I do think that's a big thing with that. And then there's also the no- lack of knowledge around gender dysphoria and how that can connect to eating disorders. I've been a big educator to my treatment providers. I've been told by my treatment providers that I've educated them. And I feel like I, as the patient, shouldn't be the one that's educating, like, in the UK, NHS treatment providers, um, as they should have that basic knowledge already within them in the staffing training. Mm. And then staff, really, with disabled people, need to be trained on, like, treating people with dignity and not as, like, an experiment or, like, a child because there's a lot of undignified things that happen to disabled people in treatment. Like, um, I won't go into it because it might be triggering, Mm -hmm. but there's certain things that happen within inpatient settings particularly that really strip your dignity as a disabled Mm -hmm. person. Um really traumatic things that can happen to you just because you're disabled and they can't say treat you in the same way as they would a physically abled person and more knowledge is needed to understand the feelings that can come with having a disability or chronic illness and how these emerge in eating disorders so like how your disability can really knock your confidence or body image um that's not really understood within the eating disorder world how illness and disability can impact you and actually cause eating disorders so there really Mm. needs to be training and understanding around that and there needs to be more flexibility within like treatment plans and they need to really cater for individuals needs so, like, for example, I had a time in hospital where I was going through awful chronic pain, like some of the worst pain I've been in in my life. And they have mm. this rule in inpatient treatment where you have to sit in the lounge for a certain amount of time after meals and snacks. Mm-hmm. And I was in excruciating pain. And then I was told, no, you can't go to your room. You can't go and lie on your bed just because that was the rules. And I feel like there really needs to be flexibility around mm rules and knowledge within the eating disorder system because that obviously was an example of a time where there needed to be taken into account a disabled person's needs definitely and it just seems that it's like 
there is no gray area it's quite ironic really people in you know treatment are often said about you know there is a gray area when it comes to recovery but then there is also not uh, a gray area provided by treatment providers so it sounds very much you know a one rule one rule healthcare system which is definitely not going to enable you know a holistic healthcare healthcare experience so is there any like you know for people potentially who are struggling within these communities are there any specific organizations or you know support groups etc that you would recommend to people in similar situations really i hate to break it to you but there's not really <laughs> it yeah. doesn't really exist because there's still this real big misconception that eating disorders only yeah. affect women and mm. uh able-bodied people there aren't i've looked up and down for resources for myself in this situation and they just they just don't really exist like within the uk system especially i haven't been able to find resources for people uh for myself even so I feel like we're really forgotten in the community, um, like a forgotten voice of trans and disabled people. We are forgotten mm. that we have eating disorders and we struggle with eating disorders. Um, there needs to be really more awareness around it and more support available for it. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, I'm, I, I appreciate your open openness and honesty that you know may, there is gaps you know obviously we work together Alfie and I've always just we've worked just as you are and I'm constantly learning myself but you know it's not as not everyone has access to coaching nor is there thousands of coaches out there and I think it's about there needs to be a change and may, maybe Alfie this is your calling maybe yeah. you know you you do so much you know activism within the community now that you know you're not, not within an inpatient setting and you're you know working towards doing more and it's actually having those voices stand up and you know the bravery there's such bravery within you to you know speak up for what's right but there just needs to be more people more people yeah. like you and I suppose you know, how how can we foster inclusivity and promote body positivity within the, the trans and just disabled communities to help to help prevent and support those potentially at risk of, of developing eating disorders? Yeah, so it comes back to more awareness needs to be raised really of the strong mm. link between eating disorders and trans and disabled people as there are much greater risk, unfortunately, of developing eating disorders. There is little data but the data that there is show that there is a strong link and a strong comorbidity between being trans or disabled and developing an eating disorder so more support is needed to prevent eating disorders mm -hmm. within the community um it's often overlooked by the medical and research world so for me personally when i started struggling with anorexia they looked for every possible medical reason that I could be losing the weight I was before they even considered an eating disorder just because of my disability. I had mm -hmm. I went through multiple medical testing just to figure out what was wrong with me, but at no point did somebody sit down with me and have a chat with me. Mm. So that's it was kind really, of like ruled out even before you set off. Yeah, just because of my disability. 
and another thing is, is more people need to come up and spread their stories so more people yeah. need to be brave and mm-hmm. spread awareness about their journeys and their trials and tribulations and I know it's scary and I know it's really hard but the more people that raise their voice around being trans with an eating disorder or being disabled with Mm -hmm. an eating disorder if you're like me being having both um it's really important that you spread your voice um because it's really needed and then also GPs and specialists so not just eating disorder specialists but any medical specialist needs to be trained within eating disorders and need to be aware of the high number of people that are at greater risk of developing eating disorders. So gender clinics and uh, people that support people with disabilities need to be aware of the greater risk that the, the patients they're treating could be of developing an eating disorder. And as we know, the earlier you step in for uh, somebody with an eating disorder, the not easier, but a better way it is to treat somebody because as we know the longer you suffer with an eating disorder the harder it is to come out of it so it's really important to step in early and have that early intervention into eating disorders Um, Mm -hmm. and if more people are trained so GPs and specialists are trained around eating disorders I feel like there could be that intervention earlier Definitely. I mean, you offer such insightful information. I think it's, it's just, yeah, I'm listening to you now and just thinking stand for next prime minister, honestly, like (laughs) just, it's so, you know, it's, it's such important information. And in essence, I know this is not to patronize you in any way, but it is, it's kind of simplistic basic, basic human rights, isn't it? but yeah one that's being missed it's it's not like none of this none of what you're saying is like rocket science it's not asking for the world but it's asking for compassion and support for all you know yeah i'm just asking for the the same treatment that a cis white able-bodied female would get i'm just asking for a level playing field for disabled and trans people to access treatment yeah, and I think also like men as well, you know, obviously just if we're going to, you know, not just see there's so many communities that are not being met, you know, that maybe don't fit a weight criteria, maybe don't fit, fit a skin color or a race or, a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a gender, age, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, there is a limit to the amount of, you know, time or resources there is, but is should that be the case you know should that really should recovery really be left for those who can afford it or as a luxury no you know and mm-hmm. obviously um, i'm speaking from somebody who does offer coaching but within as many you know i provide as many resources as i can do for free so if somebody hasn't got access there is still stuff out there but need more needs to be done and i i know i need to do more but it's more people need to stand up so finally thinking as kind of as we conclude the conversation Alfie how would you like what advice would you give to someone who is who is part of these communities I know you've said about standing up but potentially if they're still struggling um with an eating disorder and they can't like show their voice and and stand up for what's right at that moment what steps can they do to try and seek help and impart embark on their path to recovery yeah, so the first bit of advice I give is well, you are not alone. 
there are mm. lots and lots of people struggling the same way you are and dealing with gender dysphoria or dealing with disability and dealing with an eating disorder on top of that can be extremely overwhelming. It's not something to be ashamed of. You don't have to be ashamed of the fact that you are struggling with uh, food or weight and things like that. And to remember the battles we face every day with our bodies are hard enough, let alone when you have an eating disorder on top of that. So mm. to really be compassionate to yourself around them. And there are many ways to reach out for help. So speak to a trusted person or medical professional. And please don't let it get to crisis point because crisis point is yeah. really dangerous. So get help as quickly as you can. If you feel like you are maybe slipping into an eating disorder or even just a slightly worried that you might be at risk of an eating disorder is to reach out and speak to somebody because the longer you need it, leave it, the harder it is to get that support that you need. So it's really yeah. reaching out for help and not letting it get to crisis point because I can tell you that once it gets to crisis point, it's really, really difficult. So the sooner you can, I know it's really difficult, but to reach out for that help that you need because you do need it and you do deserve it at whatever point mm -hmm. you're at and wherever you are within your eating disorder or even pre-eating disorder when you're just worrying about food or things like that when you're just in disordered eating stages it's really important to reach out for that help and the sooner you get in there is really important yeah you're you're so right and I think people often struggle with reaching out you know for support in general and I suppose there is that you know added added layer of difficulty isn't there but it doesn't it doesn't mean that they shouldn't you know feel confident that they deserve the help and and someone will listen to you you know there is so many there is many good people out there it's just being brave enough to trust that your voice is is worthy to be heard heard and that you you deserve recovery so thank you thank you so much for sharing that it's like hope it's a message of hope isn't it I really hope so. I really hope that if you're listening to this and you are trans or disabled or you know someone that's trans or disabled is that you aren't alone and that you really have nothing to be ashamed of if you're struggling with your eating or have an eating disorder. So it's really important to remember that. Yeah, thank you so much, Alfie. Have you got anything else that you'd kind of like to share today before we wrap up? I'll just do a little shameless plug if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I would have done it anyway, but please do. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram or on my own podcast at Unlabeled Disabled. So uh, I'm trying to really uh, put some information out there about being trans, disabled, having mental illness uh, while having eating disorders too. So I hope that you can find a bit of a space that you find that you're not alone because you aren't alone and it's really important to remember that. Thank you so much, Alfie, for joining me today. Like I, I appreciate it so much and your your message is, is so inspiring. You're so powerful and strong and I hope I hope you know that. But mm -hmm. you know, yeah, he he's he's done very well and left his de details, so I don't need to do it. Um, I don't need to do it for you, but um, I will leave everything in the show notes, um, so you can access that um after the the episode. But thank you so much for listening. You know, just to add, whoever 
whoever you are and whatever you present as or with you are valid and I hope this episode has been helpful on your journey if it resonates you know it might not but at least you'll have some insight into different communities with eating disorders so for now I'm going to say goodbye um, and it's been a pleasure speaking with you Alfie and we'll speak to soon thank you